First Thessalonians chapter 5, and we want to look at verses 1 to 11. Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to darkness, so let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and hope as a salvation, as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just in fact as you are doing. Just as we look at the word of God, it is really a huge privilege to be able to share God's word with you. And we do have a number of new families with us again today and, and we really are delighted that they are with us uh, because it really does give us an opportunity just to really anew and afresh share the things that God has for us. Karen and Greta just flew in this past week and they are um, Christo and Elise's son and daughter, uh, uh, daughter and son-in-law and they're here for the first time and I know that they everywhere with their little one but we're just delighted that they are here too. I think over the last how many weeks have we been here now back? Third week. We've had seven new families to come into the church. Isn't that wonderful? And so I wonder if we could just take a moment before we further look at the Word of God and welcome all of these seven families. Some are in the crash. They are walked into the crash. And that's a whole other service of people sitting there with their children. Can we just give everybody a great round of applause who are new with Endlift? I think... Um, we just thank God for bringing you, and we're deeply grateful that um, we can open up our doors and worship together. And so, this is an amazing scripture. As we looked last week, we see Paul speaking to the church at Thessalonica, and we see that this church find themselves in a very unique situation where the revelation of God's Spirit came into their lives and some prophets were speaking about what was to come in the future. And so we see that First and Second Thessalonians speaks about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what had happened here were that some prophets and teachers were emphasizing this aspect of the coming of the Lord and other prophets and teachers were um, explaining this aspect of the coming of the Lord, and there's 
were quite a bit of confusion about the end times here. And so a large part of the Thessalonica church thought, well, Jesus was going to come tomorrow. And so they quit their jobs. They met within their houses and they started to have conversations around the coming of the Lord. And they stopped being responsible citizens in serving God. And so Paul starts to write to them about the godly behavior of believers and how we ought to wait for the coming of the Lord because the Lord is coming again. When you read the entire scripture, you'll find that um, the prophets and the scriptures, Jesus included, spoke so often about his coming. And so it is, as the theologians would say, it's the imminent return of Christ. That means he definitely is going to come. But as Paul writes to the church, he says, we don't know the day or the hour. And so he says to them that they need to keep their eyes on Jesus coming, but not stop fulfilling their responsibility as citizens of the kingdom. And so this is the context of the book. And of course, last week we spoke about the subject that we ought to do what? Mind our own business. Don't stick your nose into the business of other people, but take responsibility for your own life. And I'm not going to preach that again, because that was on the backdrop of what we spoke about the previous week, where we spoke about the um, reoccurrence of the word one another within Scripture over a hundred times, and how we ought to love one another. And what was happening to the church here in Thessalonica was that they were really loving one another, but they were living in one another's homes, and they started to stick their noses in other people's business, and they started to talk too much about others instead of minding their own business. And so Paul says, you will not lead a quiet life if you do that. Because why? We ought to take care of what we are supposed to do. You know, sufficient are the troubles of today, the Bible says. And what we go through today is big enough and we need to handle that. Don't take other people's troubles. That's none of your business upon yourself. That's on the one hand. And then we see in the book of Galatians, Paul says to the church at Galatians, he says, you know, bear one another's burdens, but carry your own load. Isn't that interesting? The paradox. So there's a fine line in between. But you see, they weren't being responsible because God says, you know, for you to live a quiet and a peaceful life, you need to work with your hands. Mind your own business. And he gives them instructions like that. And so we see that this is the context of the book of Thessalonians. But what I love about Paul is he shoots straight and he speaks into their lives. But then he says, friends, we are living in a time that is troublesome. He is saying times are difficult. He says, we don't know what tomorrow is going to hold, but he says, I want you to focus 
on the return of Christ. I want you to focus on eternity and to live in such a way as responsible citizens of the kingdom while you have your eyes on the Lord Jesus, on eternity. He says, then you'll be able to push through the challenges of today. I don't have to speak to us about the challenges of today in depth because we know them. We are uncertain of tomorrow. I was saying to one friend this week, I said to him, we are so grateful that God has allowed us to meet for three weeks up to today because I don't know whether we'll meet in a month's time because we don't know what's going to happen with the second wave. That's already happening in Portugal. We had booked our holiday in Portugal, and we had to cancel all of our plans to go to Portugal. Spoke to my sister and them just last week. They live in Portugal in Lisbon, and they said, not a good time to come. You can't go out of the area. You've got to get special permission. So we do not know what tomorrow will hold, do we? But the most beautiful thing is we do know who holds tomorrow. And Paul here encourages his fellow believers to live their lives in the context of who holds tomorrow. And he is saying to them, I don't want you to live in fear, but I want you to live in in faith, when we know who holds tomorrow and when we understand that we need to live our lives in the context of eternity, then we could live our lives in faith. And it takes care of the fear that is within our lives. Spoke to another pastor in England this past week, Matt, who was here a number of months ago and we were just talking about everything, and I say to him, you know, it is, uh, it's, it's taken me by surprise how many people are living in fear. And he says, Piet, also part of my congregation, the congregations we're a part of, and also in, in Britain, and, and it's such a reality for us because I think if we're not careful, we will live in fear in the days that we live in. And fear will overcome us. And Paul knew that with the church at Thessalonica. He knew that people were being persecuted for their faith. He knew that people were being killed and persecuted for standing strong for the Lord Jesus. Death was imminent as was the soon return of Christ. So as imminent as death would be, Paul is saying to them, friends, put your hope in Jesus because his return will happen one day. These Christians thought it was going to happen the next day. So they stopped marrying. They stopped having children. Paul speaks about that in the book of Corinthians as well. Because he thought Jesus was going to come at that time. But in God's great wisdom, he's delayed the time so that more and more people could be reached and be brought into eternity. But he encourages these people here. He says, put your trust, put your faith in the one who holds tomorrow. He says to the Christians here, he says, if you live as I say you need to live, he says, then that will attract non-believing people 
to the God that we serve. Isn't that amazing? It's a recurring theme within the book of Thessalonians. Your life, if you live it for Jesus, will attract other people to Jesus. I mean, within this time, if we live exactly like people and respond exactly like people who do not have faith, would you agree there is something wrong with our faith? Amen? And he's saying this to the church here. He's saying, come on, guys. I want to help you to live in such a way that we can attract those who do not believe towards Jesus. That's beautiful. And so our actions today and tomorrow will affect those who do not believe, and it will affect the way they see Jesus when they look at our lives directly. And Paul speaks into this context with these believers here. And so I want to focus on verse 8 here. And I don't know, Renus, if you can put verse 8 there. But verses 6 to 9, we could look at here. Because Paul says to the church here, firstly, he says, you know, you need to be sober based on the times that we live in. So he says, what I want to happen is that you guys need to encourage one another during the days that we live in. And it's very interesting. You know, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 18, um, Paul says to the church, therefore encourage one another with these words. What words? The instructions he was giving and also the words about Jesus coming again. He says, encourage one another. He says, I want you to see beyond the challenges that are there. See beyond your fears, your insecurity. He says, look at the Lord Jesus, the one who holds tomorrow in his hands. He says, I want you to encourage one another with these words. And then again in First Thessalonians 5, 11, he says, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just in fact as you are doing. So his message is, come guys, let's build one another up. But my friends, if we don't have faith, how can we build one another up? If we live in fear, there's no ways we can encourage one another. Would you agree? And so Paul is saying, come on, guys, I want to help you over your fears. I was sharing with a couple last night, and I was just saying to them, I remember times in Switzerland when our futures were not very secure, when I had real faith, real fear within my heart, where I used to wake up at night with panic attacks. So, so I know what fear is. But during this period, I believe the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, taught me how to step through those fears in faith and to overcome them. So, so all of us go through times where we are fearful. But I believe God wants to help us to step through them and live overcoming lives. And that's why he says, I want you to encourage one another to overcome these things that come our way, especially in the times that we're living in. And he says, you do that by being sober. Very interesting. He says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 6 to 9, so then let us not be like others. There's many others around us. He says, don't be like them who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, 
get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and hope of salvation as helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to encourage us in the times that we live in daily to live sober lives. What it, does it mean to be sober? Well, sober is just the opposite of being drunk. And of course, I know that none within our church have ever experienced this word being drunk. But it's just the opposite. Sober means that you are alert. Sober means that you're not asleep. Sober means that you are awake. One of my friends here, he's not sleeping at night because of their little baby. And so when I see him and I talk to him, his eyes are pretty thick and he's a little bit, he forgets things because he's a little bit tired. You see, that's what happens when we're not sober. And we see here that Paul is encouraging us to be sober in the times that we live in so that we can make good calls in first Timothy, you see that Paul speaks to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, I want to, you to keep your head in all things. And I love that, because you see, Timothy was going through a time of fear, where people were talking down on him because he was young, and they say he was a little bit timid, which it's hard for me to believe when I read some of the stuff the commentators are saying. But nevertheless, Paul says, you know, uh, 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 God has not given you a spirit of fear. He says, but God has given you a spirit of love, peace, and of a sound mind. Or otherwise put discipline. That's what it means to be sober, is to have a sound mind. And when you and I live sober lives, we can encourage one another into faith instead of living in fear. Soberness means that we use our understanding, we understand what's happening out there, we take the proper precautions as we have done here, and we encourage one another with the mind. That means we know we are looking maybe going to Italy on holiday in a few weeks' time. So one of my friends says, I don't think Italy is the best option. I said, well, some of my friends are there. Who knows what the best option, but I'm watching, so I'm being responsible. It means, soberness means that we need to be responsible, agree? And you be sober in your mind. Our son's flying back to Barcelona on Tuesday, and I want to make sure that he takes every precaution there. Be sober, but not to live in fear. You see, there's a difference. You know, you've got to be sober. Assess situations, but then we need to be sober about God. What I've seen is we're so sober about all of the news that we are hearing, that we're sober about what's happening, but we're not very sober about what God is saying to us. Agreed? I've seen that. And so God wants us to be sober about what he says in the Bible. I, I go to the Bible and I read the Bible and I realize that most of the New Testament was written to believers who were being persecuted, who were going through terrible times. And so when I read the Bible, I know that the Bible is applicable to me today. So when the Bible says, do not fear, I know he is speaking to me because the Bible says to Christians who were being martyred for their faith, don't fear 
for being killed. How, I mean, that's illogical, isn't it? But when we live in faith, faith is sometimes illogical. And so we've got to be sober. What's the opposite of sober? It's obviously to be drunk. And when we are drunk, we don't make good decisions. We just fall for everything, literally. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, 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 but Paul has kind of like an antidote for us not to be drunk. He says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, do not get drunk on wine. That's a command. It's a sin if we get drunk. It's a sin. The Bible speaks very clearly about drunkenness, drinking too much. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I encourage us during these times of uncertainty, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That means daily we say, Lord, in my soberness, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can discern what your will is today? Secondly, Paul says to the church at Thessalonica here, he says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith. <laughs> this is great. Number two, being armed with faith. He encourages the church to be armed with faith. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8 says, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. He also says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And that's why, my friends, if we are going to arm ourselves with faith, go to the Word of God and live according to the Bible says. He says we are aliens in this world. He says, but we represent a heavenly kingdom. And the Word of God tells us how we need to act during these times. As we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible becomes an open revelation into our hearts. God will give you peace to do something, and he'll give you peace not to do something. So I'm asking the Holy Spirit to give me peace where we should go on holiday. Do you think that's a good thing? So I'm being sober-minded, but I'm walking in faith. I seek not to walk in fear. So when I do this, as the word of God fills my heart, so daily, my friends, if you feel that uncertainty, if you feel that fear coming, go to the word of God. Read what the Bible says. Just read through the book of Thessalonians. And let the Holy Spirit, as you read the scriptures, fill you with the presence of God. And he will give you peace, what you need to do and what you don't need to do. Armed with faith. What is real faith? I've had to ask myself that question, particularly over the last three weeks. What is real faith? Real faith is not just something you say. 
Real faith is not just something that you feel. Real faith is not just something that you think. Real faith is not just something that you believe. And I've got to be careful there because faith comes by hearing and hearing from the Word of God. But faith is not just something that you believe. But real faith is something that you actually do. Because James, in chapter 2, verses 20 to 25, and it's not on the screen, this scripture, so please, if you could just listen to me, it says, you foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that this faith in his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see, that a person is justified by what he does, and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. So what James is saying is that if you have real Genuine, authentic faith, it will show in your actions. That's basically what he's saying. You see, Paul was basically writing to the Jews, who was steeped in legalism, whereas James was writing to a group of people who had become apathetic and they were lazy. And he says, You are not justified by what you do, but when you do something, it witnesses actually what you have within your life. So my fear, friends, if we live in fear every single day, then the quality of our faith is very low. And so what I've tried to do is that because I know that faith is an action word, I remember when I was gripped with fear within my heart, and when I had to study for my German test, and I knew that they could send us home if I don't pass my German test, I didn't stop studying. I didn't stop writing the tests. Do you know how I dealt with my fear? I stepped over it. That's how you overcome fear. God puts faith within your heart, but then you need to act on your faith. You need to step over it. Otherwise, fear will grip you. And this is what Paul is saying here. He is saying, arm yourself with faith. Believe that God is for you. Believe that if God is for you, who can be against you? You've got to believe that. But you've got to step and live it out. You cannot just say it. You cannot just feel it. But you've got to act. Oh, that fear is a terrible thing when you let it come over you. Have you ever been in fear? And the longer you wait to deal with it, the stronger it becomes. I know. I've been there. I've lived in it. When God fills us with his word, 
that will help you to step over fear. Not to be irresponsible. I'm not talking about that. But I'm saying step into things that God is preparing for you. And fear over a period of time will be dealt with within your life. So he says here, let us be sober, putting on faith. Putting on faith. And then he says thirdly, he says, I want you to be filled with love. He says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love. In this context, as he speaks about that breastplate that hangs over the warrior, he says, have the breastplate of faith on and also have the breastplate of love on. Faith and love work together. If you do not have faith, you cannot love. It's as simple as that. Because faith enables us not to look at our own needs alone. Faith causes us to look at other people's needs and to love them. We will become very isolated and selfish when fear grips us. But when we walk in faith, God will give us that confidence to love one another as we should. So love is an action word. We can't love if we don't have faith. I have faith for us to be together here. Amen? Today. I really do. Because I believe the church is supernatural. This is not a club. God's spirit is here today. His presence is here today. That doesn't mean we're irresponsible. When we go and have our coffee, there's three lines. I want you to line up in three lines. That's why the chairs are many here, so that we can spread out. We're responsible. But my friends, I have faith for this gathering because Jesus is here. It's different when Jesus is here, agreed? Or does our faith not extend that far? It is different. God's church is supernatural because his blood has covered his church. We overcome the enemy by the word of our testimony and by the blood of the lamb. And that's his church. We're the bought ones. This is not natural what we do here. God's presence is here. That's why people will get healed here today. I have faith for that. People will be set free here today. From their fears. I believe that as I speak, you'll be set free. You'll leave here today and you won't have fear, but you'll be sober-minded, making good decisions. Because our gathering is supernatural because Jesus is here amongst these people. I believe that with all of my heart. That's why we can meet together here. And that's how we can love one another. And I've said the last few weeks, we love one another by preferring one another. So don't hug people here. Because love prefers the needs of other people. You see how love works. We prefer one another. But I have faith when we pray for one another. And this is so controversial, I know. But we will place our hands on people when we pray for one another. Because God's presence is here. It's what he's called us to do. 
He says, we must lay one and the sick will recover. How in the world are you, you know, when people are sick, you don't want to lay hands on them, agreed? The Bible says, elders need to anoint them with oil and lay hands on them. <laughs> you know, it's a biblical command. Faith means that I believe the word of God without being irresponsible. Fine lines, but I think as Christians, we need to hear the word of God today. And you're going to see how it will set you free in many, many other ways. And so let me just close as I just want you to understand today what fear does. Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind or discipline. I like the translation, sound mind. You see, fear will make us insecure. It really, really does that because we're unable to trust like we should. Fear causes us to become self-absorbed and it will not cause us to think about one another. That's what fear does. Fear paralyzes you. It means you cannot make good decisions. Fear causes you not to do what God has called us to do. That's what fear does. It paralyzes us. Fear causes you to become irrational in the decisions that we make. I know, I understand that. I've been there. And fear, believe it or not, is contagious. People around you will catch it. <laughs> and it's very important for us to encourage one another by freeing one another in a gentle but in a biblical manner where the word of God is given to all of us when we find ourselves in this position. And so Paul says to the church here, guys, I want you to encourage one another, but for us to encourage one another, we ourselves need to be encouraged in God. So I'd like you to stand with me, please. And I'm gonna ask our worship team, we're gonna close in a song. But as we do so, I'm gonna pray for all of us. Because many of us here and I am a decision away of stepping into fear. Did you know that? A, a decision away from stepping into fear. So as I pray, I'm not praying as someone who has mastered this, to walk in faith. It's a daily, sometimes a moment by moment decision that I make. But I wanna pray for us today so that during these times that we live in, that we'll be sober-minded, making good decisions, and love one another, preferring one another, but, uh, but also to arm ourselves with faith, so that in faith, we can encourage one another through the Word of God. And so would you pray with me, just as the team gets together behind me here? And if you have found yourself just in a place where fear has gripped your heart, know you're not alone, but also know that the one who holds the future and who holds you within his hand 
can quiet your spirit and he can free you from that fear so that you can be a one another person during this time and help others. Can I pray for you if you're in this place, please? Father, I just pray this morning that for those of us who are struggling with fear, particularly within the COVID situation, be it the fear of death, be it the fear of joblessness, be it the fear of torment within our minds that we can't sleep at night, Lord. I just pray now, Jesus, that you would come and that you would lift the spirit of fear off of people here, Lord, in Jesus' name. Lord, our faith is of a kind that when people leave here today, that they would get home and they will look back and say, something happened this morning that I'm not sure what happened, but my mind is at rest. Father, we pray that you would lift fear of people, even as we sing now and as we worship together. And so would you just, just say, Holy Spirit, would you come and fill me with the spirit of love and would you release me from the spirit of fear as we sing together?